Today I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to talk about wine, which is really unusual for me because I don't drink wine. I don't really much care for it, but that's not going to stop me from talking about it because I think it's an interesting way of illustrating an idea that we don't talk nearly enough about. And that is not use, just using employer brand to attract talent, which, yes, ostensibly, that's goal number one. Get people in the door uh, to set the stage for why they should show up and why they should apply and why they should engage with the, the recruiter and ultimately why they should have a satisfying career, blah, 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 attract the right candidate. Sure, great, yes, check, next. But I think when done right, and I've seen it done right a few times. I'm not saying I've done it myself, but I've seen it. I think an employer brand actually creates new value. Not recruiting value, not hiring value, but business value. And I wanna just kinda break this apart a little bit and talk about it, and yeah, we're gonna use a lot of wine. So uh, hold on tight, here we go. Welcome to the Talent Cast the world's most caffeinated employer brand and recruiting podcast. I'm your host, James Ellis. Thanks so much for listening. If this is your first time for joining in, we do things a little differently. We try and do deep dives. There's not a lot of interviews here. There's not a lot of news here. This is about how do we get smarter and better? And that means how do I get you smarter and better? How do I get you to think about these problems at a deeper level so that you can solve them and look like a genius to your boss? If this isn't the first time you've been here, thanks so much for returning. Feel free to share with your friends, your coworkers, your boss. I don't know. Uh, we really do appreciate that. All right, let's get into it. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis here. The it's it's Chicago and it's warm, so I have the windows open, but it's not warm enough. The AC's on, and they're doing construction outside the building, so you might hear the angle grinders going off on the masonry in a building next door. But that should not stop us from talking about the fun stuff. Uh, do, 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 let's do that. Do the housekeeping stuff. The obvious stuff is I'm speaking at HireConf and RecruitCon, so come find me. I'll put some show notes in there, blah, blah, blah. I'm bouncing around. I'm gonna be in Sweden, of all places, if you can believe it, the home office, uh, sometime in September. New York, earlier than that, if you are in New York City and you wanna talk to me, come find me, or ping me, or tell me when you're gonna be there, and we maybe we can set something up. But the big news, kids, is literally Monday. Today's Friday, Monday. I clicked the button. You can't see a sign on the dotted line anymore, can you? Uh, I clicked the button that says, I have signed a contract to get my book published. Yes, goodness gracious, it's really happening. The book I drafted over the holidays, that's right, seven months ago, is now officially going to turn into a book. The final draft is due at the end of this year, at which point it will show up in everybody's uh, bookstores, hopefully, let's call it spring, summer of next year. So it's gonna, I just delayed when the book is gonna be due. Thank you all for, for comments and thoughts. But yeah, this is, I got a lot of work to do to finish this thing up. What is a good draft is not a good book yet. <laughs> so I got some work to do. But uh, news as I have it, publish, publication dates as I have it, all that good stuff. But let's talk about wine. So let's, let's pretend I hold in my hands two bottles of wine. Now, on one hand, I have a bottle that's actually not even a bottle. It's a, it's a, it's a can or it's a box. It's a, it's a bag wine. Um, and it's called wine. <laughs> it's called red wine. Uh, maybe there's a wine in it. Wine, W-Y-N-E. Uh, or ITS wine. It's wine. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's packaged exactly like you think it's going to be. There's a picture, a zoom in of a stock art photograph of some wine pouring into a glass. And it's called It's Wine. It's fantastic, I'm sure. 
On my other hand, I have a bottle. It's a really nice bottle. It's that standard green bottle. Uh, it's a heavy bottle, actually, and it's got a really nice label. It comes from, it designates the uh, orchard. Is it orchard? Is it wherever they grow wine, uh, grapes? Um, vineyard, thank you, not orchard. Where the hell am I? Uh, the vineyard at which it grows, which apparently is in another country, which is a really nice country. They name the vineyard. They, on the back of it, it talks about the tasting notes are very jammy. There's a lot of um, interesting citrus and fruit notes, but also an underlying tone of tobacco. So tell me, which of those wines are more expensive? No, obviously the second one, right? The, the second bottle of wine is more expensive. How do you know? I mean, you haven't tasted the wine. You're, you're, they're both sitting on a store shelf somewhere, sometimes next to each other, maybe not. Uh, maybe one is in the generic value wine section. One's in the nice wine section, you know, a little farther down the, the aisle, uh, along with the French and Chilean and wherever wine comes from countries, France. I said France, didn't I? Yeah, okay. You know, so you see that you might look at those things and go, okay, well, obviously the one in the bag is going to be, let's call it five, five bucks, five pounds, five quid. Um, but the really nice wine, that's like a $19, $25 bottle of wine. The sort of thing where if you saw it at a restaurant, you'd be like, yeah, that's going to be about 40 50 bucks for the bottle, which is going to be expensive. Except, what if it's the same wine? Now, that sounds like a bit of a bait and switch, right? I said, okay, look, here's a bottle. It's packaged thusly. It should be, what is the value of that? What, what is the cost of that? And you've assigned cost. And, you know, we all know that with the right packaging, we can elevate the price of things, right? The, uh, the right badge on the front of a car boosts the price of it by 20%. The right vineyard boosts the price of a bottle by 50%. There's all sorts of signaling that happens that says this is what this is going to cost you and this is what we can get away with, with paying for. And that's fine, but that's not actually what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is the idea of is that there have been plenty of studies that show if I poured you two glasses of wine and I showed you the bottle or box or bag or whatever it is and I showed them to you and I put them right next to the glass and I say, I would like you to taste these two wines and I would like you to rate them from a scale of one to 10 and tell me which is a, you know, wh wh how would you rate them individually? And you're gonna taste each glass and you're gonna rate the one in the box lower than the one in the bottle. Now I didn't ask what should these wines cost? The question put forth to the drinker is how good is this wine? What is the level of pleasure you derive from drinking these different glasses of wine. And it turns out the bottle, the name, the tasting notes, the, the structure, the form, the name of the vineyard, the country it comes from, doesn't just make the glass more expensive. It actually increases our perceived pleasure in drinking it. Right? We tell ourselves a story, and there's, it's a funny story. We look at that bottle from wherever, whatever country and whatever vineyard, and we look at it and we say, ah, this is a nice bottle. This is the sort of bottle I would have for a special occasion. I got promoted. It's an, a wedding anniversary. Um, it's somebody's birthday, and I, need to, and I really want to suck up to them, so I'm getting a really good bottle of wine. And you say, if it's a good bottle of wine, I better enjoy it. And you tell yourself this story of how this bottle of wine kind of got into you, your mouth, so to speak, 
not it's not clearly it's not a narrative first there was a bottle of wine and then it, one day it went down the street it's like no not like that but about this idea that because it's packaged thusly and because we know it's packaged thusly we have a, a rough sense of what the price probably is and when we know that that's a 25 30 dollar bottle of wine 20 30 dollar bottle whatever it is we go oh it's a decent bottle of wine not a not a great bottle of wine not a hundred dollar bottle of wine but a but certainly far better than your so-called three-buck chuck over at the old Trader Hyo's, um, which I'm sure is delicious, but again, I don't drink wine. But your pleasure increases because of the story. This is a really nice bottle of wine. This is only for special occasions. I'm drinking and I must be enjoying it. This must be a special occasion. The story doesn't just change how much you can charge for the wine. It literally changes how you taste it. Let's get off of wine because I don't know anything about wine. Let's instead go into the restaurant because I love food. And you see the menu and you have two menus and one says steak, New York strip, burger, fried chicken, whatever that thing is. And you go, okay, I get a sense of it. If it's a burger, it's probably about nine, 12 bucks. Um, more if there's cheese, more if there's bacon, more if there's fries, right? It's Kamani, burger, steak, fried chicken, it's a thing, right? You understand pretty much that, okay, not a lot of necessary care was taken with this thing. Um, it, it was what it is. It's just a very simple burger. It's the sort of thing you might get at a fast food restaurant. It's the sort of thing you might get that perhaps someone had to microwave it to make it happen. For it, some element of it was microwaved. It's a value. You're putting food in your face. On a different menu, talk about how that meat is from a single sourced farm and that it is from three different cuts of the cow, that it is seasoned and aged, that it is in a, uh, let's go with, uh, yeah, pretzel buns are over kind of passe. Let's say it's a brioche. That's a nice word, brioche. And, you, and it talks about there's a succulent, when, when cooked to a medium rare temperature, it is juicy and succulent and full of flavor. And you order that, because that sounds delicious. <laughs> Now I'm getting hungry. And you order it, it's the same burger, but you don't know because you didn't see the other burger. If I survey 100 different people and half of them get the burger and half of them get the succulent burger with the three kinds of meat and seasoned and blah, 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 and I ask them, scale of 1 to 10, how much pleasure, how good was that burger? The people who got the succulent three-course meal, single-sourced farm, will say that this is a better burger. Not that it's more expensive again, but the amount of pleasure they derived from the, from the meat, from the meal, was higher. And the only thing that changed was the description and marketing and packaging around the thing. The description, the marketing, the packaging, all that stuff doesn't just change the price. It literally changes our perception of the meal, of the bottle of wine. Simply slapping a label on something makes it better. That makes it more expensive, though that's also true, but makes it better. And that's crazy. And study after study have shown that to be true. You can strip out all the ancillary details of, well, did it come from a nice restaurant or a, a gross restaurant? All that stuff. Strip it all down. The fact that it was packaged and described created the value. And that's all well and good. Be but there's a lesson to be learned from this. Because I'm not going to tell you any wine and I'm not going to give you a burger. The burger's mine. Um, but I definitely might want to help you sell a job. 
So let's, instead of wine and burgers, let's talk about product manager, project managers. I, I, I kick them around. I love them. We, I use them examples in this podcast all the time. Project managers, they are certainly not cogs, but they're certainly, um, they're not the sexiest roles. They don't get uh, a lot of love. You know, they aren't pointed to as the, the reason why this product went so well is because of an amazing project manager. Nobody says that, right? They're the goalie. They're keeping the ball in bounds. They're keeping things moving. They're keeping keeping the trains on time. It's a it's a it's a let's call it a behind the scenes job, right? The Johnny Ives shows up at the on stage of Apple, but the project manager does not, <laughs> right? The designer does. The product manager, the uh, whatever you want to call it, the, the the head of whatever shows up and, and and gets all the glory. The project manager does not. And so we think, oh, well, it's just a project manager and anyone will do and when push comes to shove you realize that the difference between a good product manager and I'm sorry project manager I need to be clear I apologize the difference between a good project manager and a great project manager is not measured in single digit percentages but in quantum shifts a great project manager anticipates has lots of experience. They can see problems before they happen. They can adjust accordingly. They can make sure that you have everything you need to keep obstacles from happening. They're having conversations about things five steps down the line. So by the time you get there, there's no obstacles. There's no issues. It moves very smoothly. It's great at coordinating all the different various people who are involved in a project. They do amazing work. So there's a difference between good and great which is important because if a job is a commodity, then what we're about to talk about means nothing. If it's just wine, if it's just water, then it's just water. Though the good people at Fiji or any number of other water bottling companies can tell you, yeah, change the packaging on that stuff, you change the value. Not the cost, though that's part of it, but the value. So we go back to the project manager and we say, okay, we're going to hire another project manager. And you take, because you know you do what everybody does, you take the job description from HR and you kind of give it a quick polish and you slap it up and there you go. You've made the equivalent of it's wine or burger. Great. And that job is worth exactly the amount of work we've put into it. We have signaled, whether intentionally or not, we don't care that much about this job. We don't need the best of the best. We're not willing to spend the time for to, to to, to get the best of the best because it's just it's a job. It's a commodity. Just do it. Just, just apply for the job and we'll pick whoever the best one is, right? That's what you've signaled. That's what you've told the world in not so many words that this is how much you value a product, a project manager. Do you think the best project manager in the world is going to show up to that job? Of course not. Of course not. They would be insane to do that. Maybe they live next door and they just need an you know they need to get out at some gig. Maybe the stars will align and the best one shows up. But in general, why would they? They're great at what they do. They can pick and choose. And you said we could we'll take whatever burger comes along. We don't care if it's fast food. We don't care if it's microwaved. We don't care if it was grilled or fried or steamed or I don't know just looked at by the sun now and then. We don't care. It's a commodity. It's just a burger. It's just food we're putting in our face. That's what we've told those people. That's what we've told the best people. But at the same time, we've also said this, this, this isn't a chance for us to tell them this is not just why you should take this job, but how to perceive the job. 
So you're talking about a project manager. Literally, it's detail-oriented. It's Gantt charts. It's it's project management tools. It's very detailed-oriented stuff. And if your entire job posting says, are you an insanely anal, detailed-oriented human being? Great. Congratulations. You could be a project manager, and we'll give you the tools to do it. Yay. Click. Done. But you want the best. And not only do you want the best, you want the best to see you not just as a job because it goes both ways. <laughs> they can see your job as a job or a job, you know, just in the same way that you can see them as a burger or a succulent morsel of delicious single farm, single source meat, beef, whatever, right? You can see it both ways. So if you want them to see your company and your brand and your jobs as something more than just a commodity, a role that you're just trying to slot in because you have some sort of business need and frankly, who the best person who shows up is whoever shows up and that's fine, you're doing it exactly right. Or you could say, we'd like to show you how this job connects to something else. That what you'll be doing is spending your time working with some of the finest designers, developers, and product managers in the state. I'm, I don't know, I'm making stuff up. That you'll be working on products and developing products that will be touched and used by millions of people. That the work you do, that, is, that making a single smart choice can save us not just from a couple of days or a couple of weeks of time, but hundreds of thousands of dollars in wasted man hours and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars of wasted and flawed marketing because you can see a bigger picture, that you can shepherd this project to completion on time and with a panache and aplomb that most human beings simply don't realize could be applied to the concept of project management. Put that in the first paragraph of your job description or job posting. Just do it. I mean, adjust your numbers accordingly, but talk about the job. Not just the job, but about the succulent morsel, the, the, the single sourced, the tasting notes of jamminess and tobacco, the farm it came from, the, the amazing bottle. Talk about it. Create a story. Create a story about what that job is going to be, where the job is going to go, how things are going to work, what the value is that they're going to get out of this thing. And don't just say it's a burger. Don't just say it's food. Talk about it like you're trying to sell this thing to someone who doesn't want it. Because you are. <laughs> but what's amazing about this, I think, is that you are literally creating value. You might not be saying, hey, you're the best project manager in the world. You could get a 20% premium from some other company who needs the best project manager in the world, or you could see the job differently, the way we are describing it, as the superhero who solves all the problems, who is going to get a share of the glory in an industry and a job where glory is hard to come by. You're talking about this and marketing by telling a story, you're creating value of the job to the candidate. Now, I always make the joke of, do you know any, any dumb teachers because all teachers must be dumb because they took a huge pay cut when they could be making so much money? And you know, obviously, it's, I'm being you know, provocative and I'm trying to you know, make a point that you, it's not always about money because it's not always about money, except it usually is. So if you're trying to hire the best project manager in the world and you can't afford to pay them the premium that a Google, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, name it, you call it big name company could pay for them, 
you have to tell them a story because a story is value and a story is money. You can talk about how the job they're going to do doesn't just help others but helps them. That this is a huge project that they're going to put on their resume. You can talk about it how this is the chance to leapfrog that person from a, you know, into the stratosphere and the firmament of project manager stars. If such a thing is exist, I don't know. I can't tell. I don't know anything about project management. Can you tell? You can talk about what's in it for them. You can create value. When you taste this job, you will taste the jamminess and the tobacco notes. When you're here, people will appreciate that you're here. You will not be an obstacle. You will be a facilitator, a supporter, and be supported in turn. Holy crap, I won't apply for that job. You won't apply for that job, I bet. And we're not even project managers. And what happens is by telling the story and by writing about the job itself, you're not just attracting a better quality talent, which, by the way, you absolutely are. Do not let that slide. You absolutely are. But you're creating value in every single job posting, in every single job you hire. You're telling, and we've told that story, we've, you're telling people it's not just the, I'm not just building a wall and building a cathedral, right? You're telling people about the cathedral so that they do a better job, so they approach the job better. People see the company, the, the reverence that people have in that job, in that company, and it leaks out, not just in how well the product works, but in how people see the company. You know how much, I don't know, I really must be hungry because I'm doing another food metaphor here. You know what Kobe beef is, right? It's the super expensive, amazing, d delicious beef they make, in, they make, uh, they grow and <laughs> graze in Japan. It's a grow, make, what am I talking about? Hold on, I got to take a password. My computer just did a funny thing. Okay, I'm back. Um, you know what they do? They feed it beer. They massage it every day. They put all this love into this job to make the best piece of meat. And when you eat that piece of meat, you may not taste the beer, you may not taste the massaging, but you know that this is the most beloved and cared for and cared about piece of meat because everybody knows it's Kobe beef, it's amazing, or Wagyu beef, I guess that's the new one. It creates value, not just by the inputs. If you never told anybody the inputs, they say, yeah, it's a really nice piece of meat. That's a really well marbled piece of meat. But by telling the story, you can triple the price of the meat and people's absorb it in that differently. They go, wow, this is an amazing piece of meat. And everybody talks about, have you tried the Kobe beef? It's amazing. And suddenly everybody wants Kobe beef. You can actually create business value via your employer brand by thinking about the stories you tell about your employer brand, your job, why people work there, what they get out of it. Not just in a, I'm trying to attract you to show up to the job and show up to the application process, but to see the job differently. Would you want everybody who works there to act as if the business you're doing is like the cathedral? They want to treat it with reverence, like it's a holy place, like the work they do is amazing and saving lives? I would go to that hospital. I would go to that, and there are a lot of companies like that where I'd be like, oh, I can see how that kind of perva pervasive feeling is a place I'd want to go there. And frankly, it's a place that I'd, I'd tell other people about, and I'd be willing to pay more money because of it, Right? When you go to shop for antiques, you can either go to Old Bob's Antique Mill or you can go to Christie's where people with white gloves show off the thing. And they have an auction and the prices go through the roof. What they're doing is signaling that this old picture frame is worth something and they're telling you it's worth a lot of money 
because of how they're presenting it. They're creating value. And when you buy it, you go, you know where I bought that? I bought that at Christie's and I spent a boat ton of cash on that thing. Worth it. It's an amazing picture. Is that picture different than the one you get at a garage sale? Probably not. Not to most people's eye, unless you've got an art history degree. But the value it creates in the buyer is exponential. That's where employer brand truly can change a business. Not from the outside, not the tiny little things, not in the glass door review, but in how a company sees itself, how employees see the job they're doing, they see the role, the story they tell themselves every morning when they get out of bed. Somebody posted earlier about, you know, blah, blah, blah disengaged employees and my comment is as it always is is those people did not wake up saying I can't wait to be a disengaged unengaged employee they want desperately to care about their work but we make it so hard for them to do so that's on us maybe, maybe not you and me but on the business the policies the processes the hoops the stories we tell about oh it's just a job oh I gotta do my expense reports oh I gotta go travel Oh, I got to do that thing. Oh, it's another customer calling me. Oh, it's another email. Ah, oh, that sound, that sound. Oh. That's a story. And that's not a story you want to tell. But it's a story that's being told about you all day long until you get a hold of it. And that's why the job of an employer brand is so important and so powerful and so useful is because you get to go in and start to say, hey, we, how do we get people to stop going, ah, and stop going, all right, I get to travel to help this person, to help this customer, to find a new solution, to find a new value, to drive things better. That kind of shift internally starts with an employer brand, if you can believe it, and it's true, and it filters into every other aspect of the company. It's the inverse of when I make the joke about how everything turns into the employer brand. Well, the employer brand get, turns into everything. It becomes the culture. It becomes the policies. It becomes the leadership. It becomes the people, the making of the decisions and the, the people making the decisions. It trickles down to every element. So if you really nail your employer brand, you're literally the CEO of this company almost. You're impacting every, every team, every department, every location, every aspect, every, you want to do your job so well that when every time HR or a business manager looks at a policy or a process and goes, does this support the employer brand and thinks of the solution with the employer brand in mind so it aligns and drives all the other stuff you're trying to do, that's the win. That's your job if you can believe it. No one else told you that, but that is literally your job. That is how high the bar can be if you make it that way. And that is my call to you. Please put the bar up that way. Don't look at it as how did I raise my glass door score? How did I increase the number of candidates who apply? How did I increase the number of people who showed up to my campus hiring event? That is not your job. But if you do your job well, those things get solved. Your job is to truly create value within the company through the employer brand, making the company, the people, the jobs, the roles, the work feel more expensive and more valuable based on the story everyone tells about it. Thanks so much for listening. It's a good, nice, long one. Hopefully there's some meat in there for you. I'm clearly hungry. What is going on with me? 
Uh, hope you enjoyed that. Otherwise, share the podcast, all that good stuff. Uh, one last thing. If you like headlines on employer brand, I'm starting a little newsletter, just a little goofy thing, just keep you sounding smart, you know, that good stuff. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. Otherwise, uh, email me or tweet me and I'll send you the link. So thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you all next week. Bye. Well, the music means you've made it to the end of another episode of The Talent Cast. If this was useful to you, do not keep it a secret. Share it with your team. Share it with your boss. Share it with your networks. I don't know. Share it with your mom. Uh, if you have questions you'd like me to answer on a future show or just, you know, general ideas about how to make this thing better, just ping me on Twitter. You know, I'm at the War for Talent. At the War for Talent. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.